Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hello. Today we're doing the 1983 horror anthology Nightmares, directed by Joe Sargent and starring in various stories, Christina Raines, Emilio Estevez, Lance Enrickson, Veronica Cartwright, and Richard Mauser, as long as as well as a few others. Billy Jane. Billy Jane, who appears in a lot of our movies. Well, last uh, week when we did uh, Iron Eagle, it was Bobby Jane, his brother. Mm -hmm. So The Jane family represents well. (laughs) Yes. They're also known as the Jacoby brothers. I I don't know if Jacoby was a stage name that they just preferred to use for a while or... But uh, this is the Jacoby that was friends of Parker Lewis. Correct. The Parker Lewis Can't Lose TV series. So this was originally meant to be a TV pilot for uh, an anthology horror series. But apparently the producers felt that the station, the TV, the network that was buying it, wasn't willing to put up the right amount of money they felt was worth. So they decided, well, you know what? We're going to make it a theatrical feature, which is a little odd that it's rated R. Right, right. I don't see anything even for 1983 that would be rated R in this. And what else is, I remember we watched, used to watch this on HBO a lot, if I recall, during the day. Mm-hmm. And at that time, HBO didn't air R-rated movies before 8 o'clock. No, not that I recall. At most, it would have been like PG or PG-13, yeah. It wouldn't be surprised if they resubmitted the movie recently and it got an R rating. And maybe it was originally a PG. Maybe. Just because, yeah. The, like, this was I mean, the smoking, the smoking alone might be enough to do it. Yes. Uh, standards and stuff have changed, but... This is, um, yeah, I, I still, I just watched it again. I really can't see anything that makes this in particularly an R-rated movie. Not at all. I mean, there's no, because again, it was intended for TV. So I guess if there was any truly colorful language, which I don't recall, maybe it was added in later to give the movie a bit of an edge because it was going to the screen. Uh, because, I don't know, it really didn't belong on the big screen. Um, but, you know, it was either that or I guess just waste what they had, right? Yeah, I mean, um, they could have tried, you know, shopping it around to other networks, but um, this is a good movie. We, we've enjoyed it. It's not certainly not the top of all the many horror anthology movies that were out around that time. I believe, personally, that would probably go to Creepshow. Yeah, um, I don't remember. When was Twilight Zone out? Ooh, Creepshow, Twilight certainly. Zone, Creepshow, Twilight certainly. Zone was- Probably the next year. I want to say Twilight Zone was 1984. Okay. But yeah, but like I... this did come out at a time where we were flushed, thankfully, with horror anthologies and some really pretty good ones. Yeah. Well, let's take this a story at a time. The first story is called, and, and actually one of the things we, we should point out that's different from this, from many of the horror anthologies that were around, is there's no framing sequence. There's just four stories. There's no narrator. There's no, you know, like the Crypt Keeper or anything stringing these stories together the way like Cat's Eyes has the cat. And as I said, Creep Show, uh, not Creep Show. Yeah, Creep Show has the Creeper and 
Tales from the Crypt had the Crypt Keeper. They're just one show after another. Yeah, I mean, even Rod Serling had like a voiceover. I mean, you had Rod Serling anyway. Um, well, in, kind in of tying movie. even the Twilight Zone universe together. So, like, yeah, you have a point. I didn't really think about it, but you're right. Like, it is a little surprising whether it was intended for TV or a movie, because virtually, yeah, most of these do have framing sequences. And yeah, you're right. This one is conspicuously missing one. The the Twilight Zone movie actually had Burgess Meredith because uh, Rod Serling was no longer with us when that movie was made. Right, but they gave us the expected, you know, uh, right. voiceover to tie it all together. The the opening crawl, I guess, would be the equivalent in Star Wars. You know, they they gave you that um, that thing that kind of ties it to the rest of the universe, as it were. Yeah. So the first one is uh, Terror in Topanga, not the girl little um, Corey Matthews married in Boy Meets World, but yeah, Canyon. Yes. Um, this stars Christina Raines, and it's based on that famous. I mean, I think I had heard this urban legend even before seeing the movie. Of, I'm sure know, the, we did. Yeah, the killer in the back seat, yeah. and it's you know there's a killer on the loose in Topanga. Uh, Christina Raines plays a mother, a wife, and mother who is just you know anybody who's ever smoked knows the Nick fit, right. And she's out of cigarettes and she insists on running out to the store to pick up cigarettes and milk. And the husband's like, no, don't do it. But she insists and off she goes by herself. And, you know, she goes to a late night convenience store and picks up her cigarettes and a few other things. Pops back in her car and she realizes she needs gas. So she stops at that lonely out of the way gas station and everything's real tense and you know, like, oh, who's this creepy gas station attendant? Because in 1983, somebody pumped your gas. Right, right. And in some states, I think to this day, it's required. Like, I think New Jersey, it's there's like no self-service. Yes. And while she's pumping, having her gas pump, she's got the doors locked. And, you know, the, the gas station attendant is, is looking in and acting Larry. all weird. And then uh, he smashes her window open and pulls her out of the car and she's struggling and he's dragging her away and that's when she sees that out of her back seat comes the actual killer. The gas station attendant is saving her life. Gas station attendant has a gun. He kills the killer and she's safe. Yes. Now let's break this down because we'll, we'll break them down each story after we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christina Miller, very entertaining pretty much featured actress who has to carry this whole thing. You have Right, it's to, largely just her. Yeah. And you have to if you don't understand the need for cigarettes, you will question her motivation. Yeah. Motivation of going out when the news reports are saying there's a killer loose in the area. Like in your neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it would be like it would the equivalent would be like, you know, finding out um you know, let's say, let's say you were one of the people out and about on Halloween night and like heard about all these gruesome murders and would be like, I still need to go to McDonald's, though. Like, I'm really hungry right now. <laughs> you know? Well, I, again, I think this is a it's like I know different. I might be stabbed to death, but, you know, <laughs> because I've been hungry, too, but I'll find something in the house to eat when you're out of cigarettes and you need a cigarette. And right. this was really before, you know, I'm sure there was nicotine gum and other things. You know, they've been help trying to quit cigarettes since 
almost as long reception, as, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she needs those cigarettes. Yeah. And at the convenience store, we get, uh, you know, no, even before she reaches the convenience store, she's pulling up to an intersection and there's a hitchhiker who just automatically, just as she's slowing down, is like trying to jump in the car like, right. oh, thanks, I really need She's like, dude, she didn't offer you a ride, so that freaks her out. Yeah. She and then gets to the convenience store. Well, and plus we... she bumps into a neighbor who's out walking his dog for some reason, telling her that she shouldn't be out. <laughs> you know, well, but meanwhile, he's like, well, I guess the dog has to go. Yeah, but he's only out in his yard in the neighborhood. I mean, True. yes, it's still unsafe, but he's not going into you know, far off on his own. I mean, the thing is, though, like, I understand her logic. She's just like, I'm going to be in the car the whole time. I just won't stop. You know, I'll be fine. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll stop at the store. I'll grab my thing. I'll hop back in the car and go. But it was the middle part that was her crucial and and key to the urban legend was that middle part where she goes to the store where presumably the killer then hops into the backseat of her car. It obviously had to have happened when she went into the convenience store. Right, like there's really no other time. Yeah, and we need to mention the clerk was played by Anthony James, one of the great character actors who you don't may not recognize his name, but you recognize his look. Right, he's got this kind of gaunt, creepy look to him, which usually translates to he was probably one of the nicest guys you would ever meet. Right, you you always hear that about these these actors who pull, always play the creepy roles that they're, they're always the nicest people. Right. But he was in at least two Clint Eastwood movies I can think of, uh, both High Plains Drifter and um, Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And and for me, the iconically creepy chauffeur of Burnt Offerings. Burnt Offerings, he plays. Yep. He, he's, again, he's got that yep. look. Yep. And then she gets back in their car and she stops at the, the gas station. And as you mentioned, it's it's Larry, yep. William Sanderson, who to me will always be Larry. Um, I'm Larry, this is my brother Daryl, and this is my other brother Daryl. And we have a business where we'll do anything for a dollar. From the uh, iconic Newhart show. Newhart, one of the best characters in a show full of great characters. Oh, sure. And, you know, he's also in tons of things, and apparently he even wrote uh, a memoir called Yes, I'm That Guy. (laughs) That's fantastic. Good for him, because that guy is pretty much what this whole thing is about. This whole I, uh, I often confuse him with uh, Tracy Walter or Walter Tracy. Tracy Walter. Um, they often play. They often play very similar um, characters. Can you give me something he was in? Um, he was in Time Rider, where he plays the brother of Richard Mauser, hmm. who's also in this movie. Richard yeah. Mauser's in this movie, but. Um, they they have the same look and the same. Okay, I'll look them up. Often play the play the same characters. I just can't remember whether his name is Tracy Walter or Walter Tracy. I'm pretty sure it's Tracy Walter. Oh, it's fair enough. I mean, you know me. I'm not judging. Like I'm I'm famous for messing up actors who kind of look like each other. Well, I'm just curious because I, I don't think I've heard of. Them. Look what I did last week, mistaking Hector Alessandro for Robert Duvall, and yeah. <laughs> What's ridiculous is I'm still thinking back on Let's Get Harry, and when I picture the movie in my head, I'm still seeing Hector Alessandro as the mercenary, even though I know for a fact now it was Robert Duvall. 
It's just weird. weird how memory works. I'm sure if I see the movie again, it will correct whatever's misfiring in my brain, but I still can't get over how, how I screwed that up. No, it's obviously the Mandela effect. Yes, um... There's Mandela no better brainwash. Man. There's no, there's no better, there's no better explanation I could have. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not. It couldn't just be a mistake. It's, it's certainly the Mandela effect. It has to be. Well, again, it's just once you convinced your brain, right. and that's the memory that's in that you've implanted in there. That's what it is. Right. It's just amazing that I can remember that Mark Harmon and Gary Busey and Rick Rossovich were in the movie, but Robert Duvall, one of the best, you know, the most respected actors. In American cinema is the one that I, I forget well, and think of as somebody else. Well, we come from a time where, like, you couldn't you couldn't just quickly Google the answer to stuff. So sometimes the answer, as far as you knew, was whoever told it to you most convincingly. Now, for, like, critical life important things, all you really needed was healthy cynicism to be okay. But when it came to movies, you were just like... Uh, yeah, all right. That sounds right. And then, like, you know, 15 years later, you realize, when you buy the DVD, you're like, wait a minute. Like the guy who I thought was in this or the, you know, the woman who I thought was in this is just not at all, or they're completely different characters. And sometimes it's even the wrong movie. You realize you were thinking of a completely different movie. You just only had whatever your Swiss cheese memory was to rely on, you know? Dustin Hoffman wasn't in Star Wars. <laughs> right. You know? Um, but yeah, like, you know, that was part of my problem uh, uh, growing up and even again into my adulthood until I started, you know, until I had my own money to buy my, enough of my own DVDs and formal movies that I liked that I just realized just how bad my recollection of some of these were um, because you couldn't just Google it to be like, was that, what, you know, were they in the, no, they're not. Okay. I don't know what I was thinking, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I, normally don't make that mistake and i really pride myself oh on, certainly yeah you have you a know, better recollection of all this than i do yeah i don't know anything else I, most I, people I, do. I know things about movies because i don't know anything about other than these things you know right right you it's know, my matt, thing where, matt where do you work ah, it's a building somewhere and i get there on a thing where it drives you to the place but you know, I, I can tell you what order the credits come up in the Magnificent Seven, if that's helpful at all. I assume it's not alphabetic, or is that too easy? In the Magnificent Seven? Yeah. Well, no, uh, it's Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, then I mean, Eli Wallach. Okay, I, I mean, I would have guessed, I would have certainly guessed the first two right, but I think the third I probably would have said like Robert Vaughn. He they, actually, because once it comes to the other characters it's two names at a time gotcha anyways yeah back to the movie we're talking about oh right yes we're only so, one episode in by the way <laughs> this is one of the best episodes in the sequence because it's it's creepy it's real world like we said it was yeah. an urban legend for years beyond that but the fear of yeah geez there could have been somebody who crawled into my back seat in the in the dark and i didn't notice it and again, this is a period of time. If you don't lock your door when you get out of your car, you're left in unlocked. And and not locking your door, especially when you're just running in for a minute, is not an uncommon thing to do, especially no. back then where you couldn't just quickly tap your key fob and yeah, you, know, you didn't not even have think a, key, a key fob to, exactly. to unlock the doors. I mean, you certainly had the ability to lock it. It was just, you know. It's... And even if she did, she's got kids, so she may just keep those rear doors unlocked so the kids can get in and out of right. 
So, you know, she's safe at the end of this, you know, it, it's a happy ending. Larry, our gas station attendant, gets to be the hero, saves her life, and it shows her back with the family, and she talks about, you know, probably quitting cigarettes. Right. Next up is Bishop of Battle. And uh, apparently yeah. this was the first story written and it was originally written for the TV series Darkroom. Oh. Which was a uh, short-lived horror anthology that was hosted by my favorite, James Coburn. James Coburn was the host of Darkroom. I've only seen a couple of episodes because occasionally, I think Sci-Fi Channel would run like a marathon of them. I mean, to me, this is, I mean, that I guess... Um, well, the darkroom stuff is 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 a surprise to me, um, and I guess that would be one quick spoiler alert connection to um, Magnificent Seven, which I don't I don't think you went that way, but I guess you could um, if you wanted to be clever about it. But I, I guess I'm not surprised then that Bishop of Battle um, is the first one because it's the most complete one. Yes, you know what I mean. It's the one with the actual character development, with you know, with lines. Um, it's it's you know, uh, I, I get yeah, I, I didn't know that, but it totally fits now. It's also the darkest stories, sure. and Dark Room, Dark Room was an extremely, um, as the name would imply, an extremely dark show. You know what? You're right. I got it. I, you know, I didn't really think about it that way. We'll get to it. I guess no, no spoilers, at least not yet, but we'll get to it. But yeah, you're right. Now that I'm thinking about the ending of the three. Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, wow. So uh, just another connection to the Magnificent Seven, the producer of this film, Andrew Mirish, mm-hmm. is the son of Walter Mirish, who produced the Magnificent Seven. Oh, wow. So yet another connection. So in Bishop of Battle, we get Emilio Estevez, Yet another uh, connection, by the way, but go ahead. Well, and man is... Indirectly, he, but... <laughs> this was about the time of Repo Man, but he looks younger than he does. In, he, I mean, he looks younger in this movie than I've seen him in anything. He really does, yeah. But it yeah. really wouldn't have been that far off from Repo Man or The Breakfast Club, really. So I don't know if it's just he's still got a little bit of baby left in his face or... Maybe they did just some real makeup, good makeup on him to make him look younger. Or he filmed this before he filmed those. And, you know, because I wonder if they had filmed these. I know they filmed this one first. Again, the script was made first. This was the first one filmed. Right. But, anyways, he plays a video game whiz. Right. And again, this is the time where. Well, he only hustles so he can get money to play more games. Well, granted, but it is basically his... It, nonetheless, it is his primary and only source of income, as far as we know. Yeah, well, again, he's a teenager. He's living at home. Right, but he could I, get a job. He could deliver papers. He could have a, you know, he could have a paper route. He could mow lawns. He could do something with his life. Or, well, nowadays, uh, nowadays, you can be a professional... <laughs> Which is what that's that's what is so great about this episode. That's one of the that's you know it, it, it's um that's one of the things I like about this episode, especially in retrospect, is that it it's not like it's the, the, the I don't think the show is trying to make any sort of statement about video games as opposed to like obsession in and of itself. Well, um, it, it, it's just that video games were an obsession at the time, so that's what they picked, and with you know rightfully so. But yeah, you're right. Like now, 
you know, you could be, you could legitimately say, oh, I'm training today <laughs> when you're sitting, you know, playing just whatever game you're playing. You can actually this, say that. <laughs> and, and, and this is the second story that focuses on addiction. Mm-hmm. Now, again, uh, you know, we know cigarette smoke is a chemical addiction as well as, you know, oral fixation and stuff like that. But let's face it. People can get evicted, addicted to video games because you're having fun. It's yep. a, it's releasing endorphins in your brain. You know, it's we, we can all fall into that trap. Or at least if you don't want to say, I mean, because I, I agree with you, but I guess if you don't want to say addiction, then it's at least an obsession. Yes. You have to recognize that. I mean, I, if you know, just go on YouTube for 10 minutes. <laughs> so, and again, this is 1983. So when you played video games, you went to the arcade. Right. I mean, you may have had an Atari 2600. But, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't think anybody really got addicted to 2600 games. Well, especially if you're doing it to be cool. Because, I mean, this this took place largely in pool rooms. And pool, I mean, video games are just more popular. But much like, you know, kids might have hustled around to play pool in the 50s and 60s. And, and probably pinball in the 70s. Actually, definitely pinball in the 70s. Um, and some guys were wizards at that. Um then you have yeah now video games so you know they'll they'll you know have bets or whatever over high score because that was just important and if you can get money out of it then yeah you do it which of course led many a parent group or municipality to like you know ban arcades if not close them right down because it was contributing to the delinquency of minors and all that. oh yeah i remember even we our local arcade was the dream machine mm-hmm. and they wouldn't allow you in there on a school day during school hours right and they would have a list at the counter like, oh, your school is closed today. Well, then, yes, you, you can't come in. Yep. And at one time, they even extended it to like, you can't be in here until an hour after school. So kids would go home and do their homework first. Yep. And a lot of arcades, too, would be like, hey, you, you guys, you bring in your report cards, you bring in an A, we'll give you, you know, four tokens. Every B, you get two tokens and, and so on. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's still a thing at Chuck E. Cheese. So, you know, they, they would try it. Mm-hmm. So the story opens, Emilio Estevez and his friend, played by, it's Billy Jacoby in this one, right? Billy Jane. Yes. They're in the rougher part of town, and like you said, they go into a, an arcade to hustle for some money. And he hustles a guy on the, what was it, Pleiades? Uh, yeah, Pleiades, I believe. And, you know, so he hustles them for the money there and, of course, having to run out of there because it's some rough customers that they end up hustling the money from. And you find out that he's really just doing this because the game Bishop of Battle is a legendary game that has 13 levels. And he's even talking about, you know, I got to beat the 13th level. And his friend's like, there isn't even a 13th level. And again, those old urban legends as a school, we all remember, oh, yeah, some, I heard some kid in New Jersey got there. You know, all those, I mean, we were a little older, but, uh, you know, it was a few years after this with Nintendo where everybody had the, the, you know, my older brother's best friend can beat this game in this amount of time or, you know. Or you made up stuff that you knew for a fact was fake, like extra levels and different cheats yes. and stuff that only you knew, but you had to do it in a specific way. Oh, yeah. But his, Emilio's character's specific obsession is the Bishop of Battle. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, they immediately go there and they show him playing and everybody's gathered around because he's the best. And it's a really interesting looking game. It's, you know, it's a game they made up for this movie. 
but, but the retro the retro vector graphics man just bring me home and the fact that it's like you which wouldn't be retro actually that would be cutting edge i suppose at the time now that i think about it but you're, you're shooting a gun to shoot enemies but you're in a maze and it looks like you have this um dial that spins the maze to give you different perspectives it looked like it was a pretty well designed and involved game that they created for this yeah for the, this thing it looked like some sort of like i guess a contemporary would be or the, the closest thing i can give to um what i can gather is would be a, some sort of combination of pac-man and ikari warriors i was thinking berserk, but in space. berserk um, yes that's a good one berserk and um great game too well, it doesn't matter. Well, Berserk and Pac-Man, which is kind of like, but yeah, it's it's cool. It's it's it looks like a really cool game that, uh, you know, if I had uh, the ambition or time, I would try to recreate and try to make like a real thing of. And at the beginning of each game or between each level, you know, this electronic vector graphic face comes on announcing that he is the Bishop of Battle, the master of all I survey. And, you know, you can't beat me, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he's there and they're playing and he basically closes down the arcade to the point where even the guy who owns the place has to kick him out so he can close. He gets home, you know, he costs the typical fights with the parents. What are you doing with your life? You, you know, you're out at all hours. You're wasting your money on those video games. Really well acted scene by everybody in it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And yeah. It's one of those... Long continuous takes, which just goes to show how well these actors knew their parts. Well, and the, what I like about it too is like you want to, especially as I'm older now, right? But I mean, I'm a total video game guy, so I was and I'm still am kind of with JJ in this um, uh, Emilio Estevez's character, or at least I can kind of see that desperation. I mean, the older part of me can also see how ridiculous that is, but the 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 person who was very much of his age at one point. Uh, you know, feeling a lot of the same. Now, it never went this dramatic, this after school, especially, right? But it's like I can sort of, like, I can, I can, he, he plays it off well. He just does. He plays off kind of a difficult thing to try to take seriously, but you can see that he is taking it seriously. You know, you can, um, I, I really like how he pulls this off. Um, you, can, you can see a lot of what he's going to bring to his portrayal of Billy the Kid. Oh, heck yeah. Between, between his maniacal laugh and his obsession, these are both traits he portrays in Billy the Kid and Young Guns. Also, a really quick sidebar: um, go abridging uh, these two episodes is um, the same guy, um, the actor and singer leaving. So this is just a really quick sidebar because I don't know. I just found it really interesting. Is that so? The actor who played the killer, the actual killer, uh, who was in the back seat of the first um, episode, the first vignette. Um, is a man by the name of Lee, F Lee Ving, who I forget the other names he goes by, but essentially he's the lead. He's an actor, obviously, but also the lead singer of the punk band Fear, who is uh, the band that JJ is listening to um, during this whole episode. Uh, like where yeah. it begins, where he's you know strutting out to um, a song called "I Don't Care About You." That's that's the singer, the guy who played the killer. I just thought that was a really interesting little um, thing because they were a popular punk band at the time. Yes. Yes. So he basically, Emilio runs away from home in the middle of the night. I mean, he's not really running away from home. He just sneaks out. Right, right. Uh, breaks into the mall, breaks into the arcade so that he can be Bishop of Battle, which also kind of shows that he's not 
you know, one of the things we see when he was playing early was the kids gather. He's even got like a, a hype man about, you know, oh, how yeah. good he is at playing this game. Yep. So it's, it's but he's also, just... he's also got people who don't like him, like people trying to rattle him, walking around like, uh, you know, Bishop Battle Kill Screen guys want to see a Bishop Battle Kill Screen? You know, just trying to totally get into his head. It's really, it really is. Well, it shows that, you know, since he broke in there in the middle of the night by himself, it's also, it's almost his personal quest. It's not just about the glory and, yeah. and being able to show everybody he can do it. So he breaks in, he's playing the game, and of course, you know, he gets to the 13th level, and he beats the 13th level, and the machine just shakes itself apart, like just collapses, and a smoking ruin, and he's giggling, and... Well, I mean, and this is 1980s technology, like there just wasn't much memory back then, and it was really expensive, so if you somehow, you know, if there was a bug in your system, and you somehow exceeded that memory, a, a severe meltdown and explosion of the cabinet could result. Well, the problem here is that's not the case. Apparently, this game is alive, and it doesn't like to be beaten because out of it comes the ghostly face of the Bishop of Battle. And all of a sudden, Emilio's having to use the laser gun attached to the screen to shoot the spaceships that are now appearing in their life and firing at him and trying to kill him. And the effects still look amazing. They really do. These yeah. vector graphic spaceships flying around this arcade room, blowing stuff up while he fights back and you know, he, he shoots a bunch of them and he escapes the arcade to the parking lot, but that's where he encounters, again, the Bishop of Battle and it moves in on him and then the screen cuts to black and we cut to his friend is looking for him and he's, he's met up with uh, Emilio's parents who are looking for him. They go to the arcade to see if he's there and that's when, to their horror, they see he has now become trapped in the video game. Yes. Doomed to the rest of existence of being the little player character. And that's the end of the story. And it's a dark ending. Yes. And it seems, you know, a little harsh. I mean, you know, yeah, he was obsessed with it, but maybe if they showed him the character, like maybe he stole from his parents or did other bad things to earn the money to play the game. You could say he was kind of deserving of this fate, but I think it actually makes it even scarier that, you know, because a lot of these, especially tales from the crypts are morality plays where you oh, know, yeah. the bad person does a bad thing. And by the end, something really bad happens to him. Right. This was, you know, pretty innocent kid whose only fault was yeah he didn't get along with his mom and dad what teenager does and was obsessed with the video game right which is why again like i'm not i didn't know but and now that you've mentioned it i am not surprised that this was actually like this all started as a different show because it is tonically different uh radic it, it's it's different from the rest of the vignettes in, in a lot of ways and that's just yet another one that i hadn't really thought about um, you know, again, this is one of those things where um, we hadn't seen this one. I saw it. I, I bought the Blu-rays for us a, a few months ago. But other than that, I hadn't seen this since probably the 80s. So it's probably been 35 plus years since I'd seen it. Oh, sure. I mean, I, it, feel, it, I feel like it's popped up at least once or twice, you know, at, at some point in our lives since. And we probably watched it. But no, it's it's not something we... we re knew frequently, no. 
it, between this and Young Guns and other performances, I don't think I ever fully appreciated Emilio Estevez's acting ability until I've been rewatching this stuff. Yeah, well, I, that was pretty much my um, that was one of my biggest takeaways of of Young Guns. Um, going back to that really quickly, and it's not just Emilio Estevez. I think the whole cast on that is fantastic. Uh, Emilio Emilio Estevez tends to be the takeaway, and it's fair. It's more or less Billy the Kid's story, but. Um, in retrospect to that movie, I feel like it was unfairly judged in just like this color of, oh, it's an MTV generation film, so I'm not going to like it, shrug my shoulders. You know, the, the, the type of thing the cinema snob makes fun of, right? Um, or parodies, anyway. And then, yeah, in this movie, again, he's, it's it's so silly what he's ultimately doing, but man, does he really kill it? He brings it home. Um, he puts they do a really every, good job. You know, he obviously took acting very seriously right yeah. from a young age. And, you know, he nails it. He just, he puts everything out there into this role. And you can, you you almost feel his pain when he's fighting with his parents that they don't understand. Like, right. this, this it's, thing is his obsession. It's and he's consumed really good as, it. right. It's consumed his mind. And it's basically his identity. Well, it really is his identity. I mean, that's obviously sad, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's his identity. Like everything is about him being able to beat this game or not. Um, Cause he'll be like less of a person if he doesn't, cause he's the one who's supposed to do it. He has to be, well, I guess he wouldn't be the first cause as far as he knows some kid out in Jersey or something had done it, but he's got to be the, the, the local one, you know? And, yeah. Um, hey, <laughs> I, I this, get it. I would say this is definitely the standout, most memorable episode of the whole movie oh for me like, i mean i'm totally is... biased because this again this was video games this was 83 like this was almost written for me but uh i you know i i think you know for anyone who's who remembers this movie or is going to see it and then watches it you'll see like this one does stand out from the rest just like i feel in creep show 2 the raft stand is the standout and i have to sit and 100%. think about what were the other two things in that movie <laughs> yes right yeah, yeah. it's takes a minute then it's like oh yeah it was old chief woodenhead and then um which oh, is yeah, not bad uh, that one's not bad the run over hitchhiker that one yeah yeah um that way yeah the the, the old chief woodenhead's not bad but the raft is the standout totally so our next installment stars lance enrickson as a priest who is having a crisis of faith mm-hmm. he is a priest at a chapel that looks like it must be on the border of California and Mexico or you know right down it's in the desert somewhere yeah yeah exactly somewhere in either the California or Texas or Oklahoma right somewhere along the border and you know he's he's upset because uh, a young child he'd had prayed over who was really sick died anyways so he decides he's leaving the faith he's leaving the church and and well, leaving. Yep. And one of his, you know, the other priests, one of his friends and confidants, you know, is saying, you know, what are you going to be? You know, you've, you've given your life to, you know, serving God. And he's like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. And you see him pack up his car and then he packs up a, a you know, a canteen full of um, holy water and the other priest, because there's got to be very specific that this is holy water he's taking with him. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you taking that? And he says, well, as far as I'm concerned, it's just tap water. And I've got a long drive across the desert. Mm-hmm. And then this becomes a cross between Duel and the car as he finds himself menaced on these desert highways 
by a GMC pickup truck that is obviously either possessed by a demon or is a demon in truck form. Right. And, you know, it's, again, if you've seen Duel or The Car, you know, it's... You've seen this, yeah. It's a chase scene. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to escape it. He's rammed. At one point, there's this great shot of the truck erupting from the ground to menace him. Mm -hmm. And his car is turned over in one of the crashes. And as the thing is coming to run him down, he picks up the canteen of holy water, hurls it at the, the pickup, and the pickup vanishes cut to him you know the highway patrol has found him they're they're patching him up and he returns to the faith right now let me ask you this do you think the devil sent the truck within the context of the movie we're not getting into a religious theological thing you know um not i'm not trying to promote catholicism because as you know i i'm not a religious person whatsoever but do you think God sent the truck or the devil sent the truck? I mean, because think about it, the devil, why would the devil send the truck after a priest who's already decided he's done with the faith who ultimately had something to gain by challenging him and having him return to being a priest? I mean, there's a scene there. Uh, yeah. Like it could have been the other priests, you know? Maybe maybe they were trying to like scare him back in, yeah. Oh, you think maybe the other priests were praying on it and, and praying for him to have his faith, right? Have his faith restored, and like this was the end result. Well, that would probably again mean God was answering that, so God was behind the demon truck. I, I mean, it's also the desert, so I'm thinking it could have been like sunstroke and peyote. Well, something turned over. Well, again, he might have turned over his car. You're right. There's other ways to interpret this than, <laughs> you know, by he could have, you know, been speeding along and twisted too hard and flipped over his car. This is a fun one, but it's it's kind of weak when it's all. I mean, Lance Henriksen's great. I love him, but. It's just, yeah, like there's just nothing. I shouldn't and say it, nothing happens. It's just you can't describe. It's just a car chase happens for about 15 minutes, you know? And then there's one of the shortest segments. They don't stretch mm -hmm. it out beyond, you know, um, beyond its its breaking point. Right. It's, it, you know, it's resolved pretty quick. It gets to the point pretty quick. Right. And it's, it's resolved it, pretty quick. And it, it knows it doesn't have a whole lot to say other than, isn't this spooky for about 10 minutes or 15 well, minutes or so, and then, you know, it's done. And again, you know, <laughs> sentient evil truck, maximum overdrive, which also starred Emilio Estevez. Yes. You know, everything kind of comes together here. Yep. Finally, we've got the most... I have to say it's the most forgettable because I'm always forgetting it. Yes. The fourth but it's the most adorable. <laughs> it stars Veronica Cartwright and Richard <laughs> Mauser as a married couple. They have a young daughter and they have a rat problem. Unfortunately, it turns out to be a supernatural rat problem. And it's a... Adorable. Is it a rat 
god or a god in the form of a rat or something like that. Fortunately, Veronica Cartwright finds the one exterminator that knows the legend of this giant rat. Well, he's old, so. And, you know, it basically, it's a battle for the daughter, the life of the daughter and this giant rat, which, I mean. Well, it's a child for a child kind of scenario. And, and while you may find the rat adorable, I think if it was at the edge of my bed, I wouldn't find it all that adorable. I mean, I know. It's just, look, a lot of things would be different if they had chosen any sort of practical effect rather than what they did, is all I'm saying. I, I, I mean, it, you're right. I'm just saying it just doesn't, it didn't work. <laughs> it just didn't work. But I think at the time they did the best they could. And again, remember, this was for a TV movie, so they were probably dealing with TV movie budget. Right. Well, the thing is, like, if that if this episode were in Amazing Stories, it, fine, whatever. You know, it's just well, it's not super scary. It's, it's just kind of cute. Remember, Amazing <laughs> Amazing Stories had Steven Spielberg behind it. You right. Know, the, right. But that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, this feels like a Steven Spielberg told story, not not something that, you know, fits in the last three things we just saw. That's all I'm saying. But it all wraps up in a relatively happy ending. Yeah. Um, one of the again the, the the thing about this too is Richard Mauser and again it shows his act he's playing the character to be unlikable right and he he succeeds he plays a pretty much of a jerk of a husband and you know Veronica Cartwright brings it as her always terrified I mean nobody plays scared like Veronica Cartwright she nailed it an alien she nailed it an invasion of a body snatcher she nailed it when she was a little girl in the birds. Mm-hmm. She knows how to play scared. Sure. Everything works out all right, which is, again, kind of odd because in all of them, the most unlikable character doesn't really... I mean, his house is kind of torn up and he almost loses his little girl, which is a nightmare situation to any parent, but you almost expected him to get his comeuppance. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like all of them, except for the uh, except for the second one, just kind of resolve themselves pretty well, all things considered. Like they work out about as well as they can. Because uh, again, obviously for the family, this could have been a heck of a lot worse. And and um, obviously for the woman in the first and Tara and Topanga Canyon, um, you know, could have worked out way worse. Uh, in the case of JJ, it worked out about as badly as you could have foreseen in your wildest mushroom dream. I mean, one of the things you could say about JJ being absorbed into the video game is he was literally absorbed into the video game. (laughs) Well, in in some ways, he's getting his ultimate wish. He will live out the rest of his existence playing Bishop of Battle. This is very true. I mean, we don't necessarily know that it hurts, but I imagine it's not. I mean, it's got to not be fun, right? He, He doesn't seem pleased to be in there. No, no. I mean, imagine if you're Mario. You know, you have to constantly be punching bricks and stuff, like breaking your hand. Yeah, but um, you get the princess at the end. Eventually, yeah. And you leave the heavy work to your brother Luigi. True. Very true. So, um, again, while this isn't the best, this is this is another. I would say. It's a time capsule. Uh, it's it, it's worth it's, seeing for that respect. Like it's unique enough. But it's also something you could watch with younger teen, a younger teenage audience, 
because it's oh, not yeah. too, too scary. It's not horrific. Like we said, it was made for a TV movie. It's not horrifically violent or, you know, it's a good slumber party movie if you have kids that are going to come over no, and I they want to watch something. You know, this is something you can put on and they can watch and they're not going to be up all night with nightmares despite the title of the movie. Right. Like, I mean, except for the killer who gets justly shot and then uh, JJ who gets sucked into a video game. I mean, that's about as violent as it gets. Hey, you know what? It might cure your kids of their video game addiction. So, right, you you want them to put down and stop playing the video games? You can show them this one and say, "Yes, that all these stories really happen." Yeah, these are all true. Um, it's it's a very entertaining movie. I, I'm glad I, I I like having it in my Blu-ray collection. Uh, I, I actually, I, although honestly, I would say that if I'm ever watching it. I'm going to watch the first three and probably shut it off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a Saturday afternoon type of horror movie. So, uh, yes. A Saturday afternoon, you know, chomping popcorn or maybe you're doing something and, you know, you, you got it on. It, it's it's a fun one. It's a fun Saturday. It's kind of a creature feature, but mm-hmm. but it, it's a, it's entertaining and it's a good. It's good uh, 80s horror cheese. Well, it's a good stepping stone horror movie. Sure. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, it's not like we jumped straight into Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, growing it, exactly. up, it was a lot of movies like this. Yeah. Um, you know, I know sometimes kids don't want to watch an older movie, but you know, make other them. than make them, they're well, yours and your property. You can do whatever. Yeah, just make. But them. honestly, other than the Bishop of Battle Arcade, there's not a lot that dates it. Other than again. There's the lack of cell phones, but... Sure, yeah, true. Um, most of these stories would play straight out. You, you could remake this movie and not have to change all that much. Oh, yeah. You know, people are still addicted to cigarettes. They're still going to, you know... Yeah. And even, though, let's face it, even if she had a cell phone with her, the story would have played out exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Although, nowadays, I suppose you can just... Well, no, I don't think you could have cigarettes or delivered to you well i mean she more than likely also would have just like you know reached over her shoulder and beep booped the car on the way into the uh yeah you know but again people forget to do that sometimes too fair enough it, it would still work yeah. so we recommend this one this is a, it doesn't come with our highest recommendation but it's worth if you see it on a streaming channel check it out it, it's fun taken for what it is it's fun yeah yes um, my other recommendations within this genre would be, well, I try to pick something besides creep show and the obvious, but I would go with, uh, body bags, mm-hmm. which also has a gas station horror in the first, um, installment of this three episode. And what's great about this is John Carpenter plays a morgue. Um, a mortician morgue attendant who is the character that bridges the three episodes. Then we have, I would say, I, I like Cat's Eyes. Cat's Eyes is a good one, but Body Bags, Cat's Eyes. I will go with Twilight Zone the movie. Yeah. Twilight Zone the movie really is. And That's my other favorite. than other than the 
odd Steven Spielberg kick the can one. Yeah. All the others are pretty, you know, frightening. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, I basically have this. I'm just going to climb onto your rec- uh, recommendations, really, because I pretty much have the same ones. And I mean, in all honesty, like we're talking horror anthologies, right? They kind of speak for themselves. But Twilight Zone is, is easily my favorite. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, these go back all the way. They're like, you know, um, the uh, Amicus production company did a bunch of, you know, they did the original Tales from the Crypt movies and, mm-hmm. you know, Vault of Horror that were all these, uh, you know, Dr. Terror's stories of the bizarre, you know, the anthologies that have these overarching, uh, I forget which one has... Peter Cushing on a train reading fortunes to the, all the main characters, and, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. telling them the weird things that are happening, going to happen to them. And they're all a lot of fun. Horror anthologies, because a lot of times horror has to be slow, slow burn to, you know, really creep you out. To build and, it, you know, you can't just have, constant hack and slap i mean you can sure. i've seen movies that are you know entertaining but they're not scary sure these movies tend to be scary because they can get right into what creeps you out and right. if one of the stories doesn't creep you out one of, you know if all of them do, one of them's bound to get to what you fear and plant itself in your head oh you know what i thought of another one too Trilogy of Terror? Well, the Trilogy of Terror, yeah. But I, I thought of another one, but this would be more for um, um, an older audience. It would be VHS. Or VHS 2 is pretty good, too, but VHS. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, because... It, but those, that's, so, like, way darker and somewhat gorier than most of everything else we just said, which was made in, like, the 70s and 80s and are accordingly, you know, period-appropriate. Uh, VHS would, like, yeah. Yeah, what, what, it, yeah. What, it, that's an adult one. There's always... But very good. It, be an audience for these horror anthologies. Mm-hmm. I hope they keep making them. I mean, I, I'm I'm always down for a horror anthology because, I mean, look, I, I mean, I like horror movies. Obviously, um, I'm not as much as a super fan. Um, but um, what I like about anthologies is that you don't have to invest a great deal of time into something you're not necessarily enjoying. At least, unless every single one of them is terrible, which happens. Some some anthologies are just not very good. Some entire series of anthologies, masters of horror. <clears throat> aren't very good but um you know it, at, at the very least you you they can keep throwing stuff at you and see what sticks which i appreciate and like we said you can watch one and even if it's just that one story out of three four or five that sticks with you usually it's worth it just for that one story that'll yep. stick with you that you know trilogy of terror i'm thinking about you know everybody remembers the zuni fetish doll mm-hmm I'm drawing a blanket with the other two. <laughs> just because that Zuni fetish doll is just so terrifying. Yeah, exactly. It's such a it's such a standout part of the movie. So, yes, Nightmares, 1983, directed by Joe Sargent, stars Christina Raines, Richard Mauser, Emilio Estevez, and Lance Henriksen. It's available on Blu-ray from Shout Factory. It's it's one of it, it's not expensive. It comes with an audio commentary by the producer and Christina Rains, who while she's only in the first part, she 
it's there for the entire commentary. It, it's it's an entertaining film. Yep, and um, you know, shout out again to Shout Factory. We're not we're not shills, unfortunately, for Shout Factory, but they just seem to make the movie, or they seem to be distributing the movies that we really like lately. That's a fact. Yep. Um, anything else you want to say? No, not not uh, not really. No, not not about this anymore. No, because um, uh, we're we're gonna cover probably other horror anthologies that we mentioned. Um, I think Twilight Zone being one of them in later oh, episodes. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, like uh, uh, seek them out. And again, this is a fun one. So no, I, I think we've I think we've said all we need to say, except all for right. obviously your Magnificent Seven, which I'm interested in. Well, I, we we mentioned a couple already, but for my official connection to the Magnificent Seven, I'm gonna go with. Oh, you know what? My Whit Bissell Award winner is William Sanderson. Okay. And he's that connection because he was in a movie called Death Hunt with Lee Marvin and, of course, Charles Bronson. Both. Charles Bronson was in The Magnificent Seven. Yep. And, Lee uh, Marvin was not. Right. Um. I think we're going to wrap up this episode with that. Yep. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook under TV slash movie rewind asylum. You can find us on Instagram under movie Matt Sorice, all one word. That's M A T T. Sorry. M O V I E M A T T S I R O I S. Or also under the TV slash movie rewind podcast on instagram that's tv slash movie all one word we thank you yeah we thank you for joining us and hope to have you back next time bye now